Jesus is the Lion of Judah who has conquered sin and death, and he is worthy, he is worthy to receive blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen? Amen. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Amen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Well, we are here today to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. This is a resurrection that we celebrate, not a mere restoration, restoration to life in a mortal body. You know, I am sure that we have some folks here who are in the medical field. I have seen some of this sometimes in work with the rescue squad that I have seen people that have been brought back who have been restored from near death. But I've never seen a resurrection yet of any of those folks because there's only been one resurrection. You see, before the resurrection of Jesus, there were individuals who were dead but were restored to life in their mortal bodies, such as the widow's son or the daughter of a religious leader, or Lazarus of Bethany. They were restored, but they were not resurrected, you see, because resurrection is life of an entirely different order. It is a powerful transformation of the mortal body, where the body then is glorified and made immortal and no longer subject to sickness, to aging, or to death. It is a body that is suitable for eternal life. And Jesus was the first person to be resurrected, but he won't be the last. And why should we celebrate that resurrection? What difference does it make? What did it accomplish? Well, here are just a few of the things that the resurrection accomplished. First of all, the resurrection of Jesus, it validated the identity and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is no mere religious teacher. He is the Son of God, and he is also man. He is the God-man. He is truly God and truly man. He is God the Son who took on human flesh. He was made as one of us, human in every way, but without sin. He came into this world as a servant who would give his life for us, and he perfectly obeyed God's law, and he made a perfect once-for-all-time sacrifice for our sins, which forever cleanses us from all of our sin and makes us holy. So the resurrection then validates his claim to be the God-man, the Son of God, the Son of Man, who is the promised Messiah and the Savior of all who will turn away from sin and turn to him, putting their trust in him for the gift of eternal life. So the resurrection of Jesus validates his identity, but it is also the foundation then of our faith and of our preaching The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all of the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, Paul. He goes on to tell us now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, 
How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised, hasn't he? And because of that, our faith is not futile. If Jesus was not raised, it would be vain, empty, powerless. But Jesus has been raised. And so our faith and our proclamation of the gospel is powerful and effective to save lost people. The resurrection of Jesus then also is the proof that our sins have been forgiven. It is the proof that the Father accepted the sacrifice of the Son and that our sins have been forgiven. He will no longer hold our sins against us, but he has removed them from us as far as the east is from the west. The resurrection of Jesus then too is the assurance that our bodies will be raised Jesus' resurrection was the first fruits of the resurrection. That is, he was the first to rise, but he will not be the last. There will be many to follow him, and all who believe in him will also rise from their graves and will live and reign with him forever and ever. And as he conquered death, so too will we conquer death in him. Finally, then, the resurrection of Jesus assures us that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Continuing in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, that is when our mortal bodies take on immortality, a glorious new resurrection body, when the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You know, nothing, nothing that we do for the Lord will be forgotten. It will be remembered and it will be rewarded forever and ever. And that is good news, isn't it? That's very good news. Those are just a few of the things, the accomplishments of the resurrection for us. And that is all very good news. And you know, the gospel means good news. The gospel is good news. And it is the wondrous true story of the greatest and the most loving hero who has ever lived, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. 
The gospel is the wondrous true story of how God gave paradise to us. Paradise was given to man by God, but then paradise was given up by man. Our ancestors, Adam, the first man, Eve, the first woman, they disobeyed God and they gave up that paradise, but God didn't stop there. God had a plan then to give paradise back to us. And the gospel is this wondrous story of how God has given paradise then back to us through our Savior, Jesus, who is the law keeper, who perfectly kept the law on our behalf. You see, God requires absolute moral perfection. As I've said before, you want God to require perfection. Do you know why? Because if he didn't, what kind of world would we have? The world that we have right now, right? This is why God requires perfection. But we are incapable of that perfection. And so he did for us what we could never do for ourselves, perfectly obey his own law. Jesus did that for us, and we are given that perfection through faith then in him. Jesus is the Lamb of God. His once for all perfect sacrifice totally removes and cleanses us of all of our sin for all time and makes us holy and perfect in his sight. Jesus then too is the Lion of Judah. The Lion is the King, the conquering hero who has conquered sin and death and gives us that victory that we might share in it with him. So this Easter season here, we have been looking at Jesus as the law keeper, as the lamb, and as the lion. And today, Jesus as the lion, the conquering hero, the lion of the tribe of Judah. We're looking in Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10, and 16 through 20, as well as Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. And folks, what's the big idea? What's the idea that I want us to take away from this here today? Well, it is this right here, that Jesus is the Lion of Judah who has conquered sin and death, and he is worthy, he is worthy to receive blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Before we look at our text in Matthew 28, a little context here, Jesus had entered the city of Jerusalem to the shouts and the cheers of an adoring crowd. They had shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna, save us, save us, Messiah. See, they wanted him to deliver them from their enemy, the Romans. They wanted deliverance from the oppression of Rome. But they did not understand the salvation that Jesus was bringing to them. See, he was bringing a far greater, a far superior salvation. He was bringing them an eternal salvation, eternal deliverance from the oppression of sin and death. And the religious leaders who were threatened by his power then conspired against him. They had him arrested on false charges of blasphemy. They accused him of sedition or treason in order to convince the Roman authorities to put him to death. Jesus then, he was crucified. He suffered on the cross for our sins. He was forsaken by the Father. He died and he was buried and he was put in that tomb on a Friday afternoon and his body lay there that night and all day Saturday and into the early morning hours of Sunday. And then Matthew tells us, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, 
there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. And so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. But then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. See, the resurrection, the Saturday Sabbath had ended, and the women, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the less, they went to the tomb. There was an earthquake, and an angel came and rolled back the stone, Now, this angel didn't roll the stone back so that Jesus could escape the grave. He was already gone. He had already risen. But rather, he he rolled it back so what? So they could see that the tomb was empty. The Roman guard was terrified, and they became like dead men. Interestingly, Jesus, the man who was dead, had been made alive, and the live men, the soldiers, became as dead men, like dead men, from fear, from fear of the angel. But the angel said, don't be afraid to the women. He said, I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. I love these. I think these are the most glorious, some of the glorious words in all of scripture. He is not here, for he has risen from the dead. Behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. So the women ran from the tomb with both fear and great joy, going to tell the disciples what they had seen. But Jesus met them first, and they took hold of his feet. They worshiped him, and he told them, don't be afraid, but go and tell his brothers to go to Galilee. You see, because Jesus is alive, we too need not fear And we too must go and tell others the good news. Matthew goes on to tell us, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See the resurrection and then the commission here. The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And they worshipped him. But isn't it fascinating that sentence there that says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
What do you think that means? Isn't that incredible? You think, well, wait a minute. They're seeing Jesus. There he is, alive, in the flesh before him. They're worshiping him, and yet some of them, there's still some doubt. What is this doubt, do you think? I think there was still some, could, could this really be true? Is this really happening? Have you ever experienced something that was just so amazing and incredible that you find yourself still kind of questioning it? Is this real? Is this really happening? But you see, the Holy Spirit had not come yet, had he? And so they were still wondering. They still didn't quite understand. What is this? What is this all about? Because it would not be until the Spirit came that they would finally understand all of this and understand the, mess, the gospel message understand what was to come understand the significance of all that jesus had said and taught them understand the significance of his death and his resurrection this was not the plan beforehand how can this all be well it was the plan it was god's plan all along but it wasn't their plan they didn't see it unfolding this way so there were still doubts what am i to make of this what is this but the Spirit came, and there was no doubt on their part, on their hearts anymore after that. But Jesus told them, he gave them a commission, a sacred task, a duty, a job to do. And that sacred job or commission continues with us here today. Listen to these words again of Jesus, and just take this in. Jesus speaking says what? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think about that. He has all authority. I know sometimes we wonder, is anybody really in charge? Who has authority here, right? But he has authority. And while it may not appear that way sometimes with the things that sinful people do in this world, he has all authority and his plan is unfolding and will accomplish all that he intends. So he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and do what? Make disciples of who? Of all nations, all the people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And do what? And teach them, teach them to obey all that I have command you. And then this wonderful promise, behold, I am with you for how long? always to the end of the age this is the great commission this is the great task of the church to make disciples that is full-fledged mature followers of the lord jesus christ we must do that by first what we must proclaim the gospel we must baptize in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit but then we teach them we help them to grow up into their faith into maturity in the Lord Jesus Christ, teaching them to obey or observe all that he has commanded. And he has promised that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he will be with us all the way until the end of the age. And so since then, Jesus began building his church, and he has been building his church, and it's been going on for 2,000 years. How much longer will it go on that he builds his church? I don't know. And if someone comes to you and tells you they know exactly when he's coming again, don't believe him, right? 
I know none of us here would be so foolish as to fall for that, that someone can predict the date when he's coming again, right? I, I don't think any of us would. I hope none of us would. But there have been folks out there who have tried to do that. But Scripture makes it sure. We don't know when he is returning, but we do know the fact that he is returning, right? And so he is continuing to build his church. And the Scripture tells us that his church will be composed of people from all nations, every tribe, every tongue, all people will be represented there. So this story now has been continuing, unfurling now for nearly 2,000 years as Jesus has been building his church. I wonder, would you like to see just a glimpse though now of where this chapter in the story is headed, where this story is going? Let's take a, let's fast forward a little bit. By the way, do you have anybody here who, when reading a book, like to sometimes skip ahead a little bit to see where it's going, where the story is going? We have any people like, okay, I see it, I see a head nod there. I like to do that. Too. I have to admit, I do that a little bit sometimes. I have a friend who can't stand it. He has to have the story, you know, the beginning, the middle, the, everything has to be right in there. He does not want to hear even the slightest hint of how a story is going or where it's going. He wants it to, to just unfurl before him. But you know what? God has told us. He has told us where this story is going. Aren't you glad we know where the story is going, where this is heading here? And so we do. So Jesus then, he has been building his church, and he will continue to build his church until he comes again. But we're given a little glimpse then of what's going to happen then when he comes again. The end of this age We're told in Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 1, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Seen the resurrection, the commission, and now a conquest. The, the scrolls contain the events that will mark the end of the age. And John wept. John wept, not unlike this little one here. John wept because no one was worthy to open the scrolls. No one in heaven or earth was worthy until they saw the lion of Judah who has conquered. He was worthy to open the scrolls. Jesus is the conquering lion of Judah. If you ever wonder, where does that expression come from? Jesus as the lion, as the lion of Judah? Where does it come from? Well, it comes back to the book of Genesis, chapter 49, verses 9 and 10, where there Jacob is prophesying about his sons, and one of his sons was Judah. And of course, his sons would become the, the tribes of the nation of Israel. And And Jacob prophesies of Judah. He says this, Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? 
And he says, the scepter, or the, the rule, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Jesus is descended from the tribe of Judah. He is the lion of Judah. He is the king who will rule forever. From his hand, the scepter shall not depart, but he will rule forever and ever. And then we're told, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing. Wait a minute, a lion, but also a lamb. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. We see then a kingdom a kingdom. The lion is also the lamb who was slain. He is worthy to open the scrolls, and he is creating a kingdom of people from every tribe and language and people and nation. So we here, we are a kingdom composed of people from every people group on earth, and we will serve the lamb, and we will reign with the lion on the earth, on a new earth. John goes on to say, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Worshiped. The conquering lion of Judah is worthy to receive our worship. Countless angels, people from every nation, from all the age, we will be there. You, I pray, will be there. Through faith in Jesus, you can be there with them, declaring, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, and wealth, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. We, along with people from all the ages, will say to him 
who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Story doesn't end there. Goes on as John tells us in John chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth, had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. What does it cost you to have this hope, this future, this life, nothing. The price was already paid. What does God require? Faith, trust, simple faith and trust in Jesus and what he has done. And that is why he is the one who is worthy to receive all the glory and all the honor, all the blessing, all the power, and all the might forever and ever. A new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, the new capital city of the new earth, and the dwelling place of God is with man. We won't have to worship God in heaven. Heaven will be here on earth. God will be with us, and we will dwell with him. God will make his home here with us on a new earth. No more tears, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. All the former things have passed away and he is making all things new. You know, some folks have this idea of, of this, this wrong idea, mistaken idea, that, well, when you die, well, then you go to heaven. You know, your body goes in the ground and you go to heaven and there you will be forever and ever. Well, it is true that if you are a believer, when you die, the body goes in the ground and your spirit, you do go to heaven to dwell with the Lord. But that's not the end of the story, is it? That's not the end of our redemption. We're not going to dwell forever and ever in heaven where God is now. But rather, God is making all things new. And just as he is going to resurrect the body, he's going to restore the earth as well and make the earth new. In fact, I love in Romans chapter 8. It's my favorite scripture chapter, by the way, you know. In Romans chapter 8, I love this anticipation where the Apostle Paul here speaks of this eager longing of the creation itself 
for the day when it will be set free from corruption and bondage, from decay, when it will be set free from the curse of sin. It says in Romans 8, verse 18, For I consider, Paul says, this is an incredible thing for us to think about here, to see through eyes of faith. But he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. I have to tell you, I have never given birth to a child. I am not anticipating doing that anytime soon here. But I know many of you here, you have. And you know about those pains of childbirth, don't you? And the groaning in those pains of childbirth. But what did it give way to? It gave way to this wondrous new life when that child was born, right? Right now, this whole earth and all of us, we are going through the pains of childbirth until it gives forth this new earth, this new life. It says, For we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with, oh, and here's that word, we wait for it with what, folks? Patience. We wait for it with patience. I saw some of the groans right there, you know, some of those groans of impatience with us, right? We wait for it with patience. So is that the end of the story? The new heaven and the new earth? Actually, you know, folks, even that isn't the end of the story. You see, because that's the completion of a chapter in the story because it's A new beginning then, isn't it? A new heaven and a new earth, but this time an earth without sin. People wonder sometimes, you know, what will heaven be like? And I think the best way to answer that is just to say, you know what, take a good look all around you right now of everything that you see, everything that is good, and somehow imagine all that you see, all of us around us here with the mountains and hills and rivers and oceans and people and culture and technology, all of these things. Imagine all of this, but somehow without sin. It's hard for us to imagine what that's like, right? But that's what it'll be, and that's where this is going for. This is where the Lord is taking us, is to that new earth. And so, I know it comes at the end of our Bible, and it is the end of the chapter, but it's not the end of the story, is it? Because, you see, it is a story that has no end. 
It is a story that will go on forever and ever and ever. It is a never-ending story. And so what we just read there in Revelation, that is only the end of a chapter of a wondrous story that will continue forever and ever and ever. And all of it, why? Because of our hero, the lawkeeper, the lamb, and the lion of Judah who has conquered. So what? What do we do with this? What do I do with this? Well, I remind us, Jesus is the lion of Judah who has conquered sin and death. And he is worthy. He is worthy to receive blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. He is worthy of our all. The law keeper, the lamb, the lion. What should we do? I think we can rest, rest in the perfect righteousness of the law keeper. We don't have to strive anymore. Our sins have been cleansed. Jesus perfectly obeyed the entirety of God's law for us. And he has granted us perfect righteousness in himself. Perfect holiness. I'm not yet perfect. None of us are. I have a long way to go myself, right? But in Christ, I am perfect. I've been made perfect. And so have you by faith, if your faith is in him. Rest in that assurance that you are perfect in Christ. Give thanks for the perfect sacrifice of the Lamb, that his once-for-all sacrifice has forever removed your sin from you. And now he is working in you. He is making holy those who have been made holy and perfect. I love that. He is making holy. He is making perfect those who have been made perfect in Christ. And finally then, rejoice. Rejoice today in the eternal victory of the Lamb. The resurrection is the assurance that Jesus has triumphed and that we will triumph with him. He is worthy. He is worthy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this incredible good news that we who were incapable of following your law, of obeying your law perfectly, that we have a righteous and holy law keeper who perfectly obeyed all of it for us. That he is the lamb who gave his life once for all time that we might be forever cleansed of our sins, forgiven, cleansed of our sins, removing all guilt, removing our sin from us as far as the east is from the west and declaring us righteous and holy in him. And that Jesus, the lion, has conquered. That he has conquered sin. That he has conquered death. He died, he was buried, but he rose again. And we celebrate that resurrection today in the sure and certain hope that we will follow him in that victory. That we will rise. That you will raise these mortal bodies, transform them, glorify them. And we will live and rule and reign with you forever and ever on a new earth that itself has been set free from its bondage to decay. Not the end of the story, Lord. Simply the end of a chapter of a story that will continue forever and ever. So to Jesus, who is worthy of all honor, of all blessing, of all glory, of all might, be our praise 
forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.